1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 76 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Uh, today's guest is going to be another great guest for my friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicist and Company, uh, Dr. Michael Barron. Uh, Michael is co-author with Dr. Tiffany Jana of a book titled Subtle Acts of Exclusion, how to Understand, Identify, and Stop Microaggressions. Now, I know some of you may be hearing that title and inclined to go ahead and, and turn this off because you're expecting to hear another uh, diversity and inclusion and rah-rah-rah and type of podcast. But look, these things are serious. Uh, when we look at employee disengagement. When we look at recruitment and retention, it's the things that Dr. Barron are going to be talking about uh, in this show that are really impacting that. These subtle acts of exclusion, these things that are happening and that you may be doing without even understanding or knowing that it's happening. And especially if your teammates don't feel comfortable telling you about it. So please, please, this is a very important episode. There's a lot of great information to get shared here. I have an outstanding conversation uh, with Michael, and I hope you will join us for this one and stick around for the full length because there's a lot of important information here, and I hope you go out and pick up a copy of the book, Subtle Acts of Exclusion. With that, I want to shut up, get out of the way, and let you listen to this interview with Dr. Michael Barron. <music> Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is one half of a dynamic authorship duo of the book, Subtle Acts of Exclusion, How to Understand, Identify, and Stop Microaggressions. Dr. Michael Barron is a social scientist and senior partner and digital solutions lead at InQuest Consulting. He has taught at Harvard University and worked as a principal researcher at the American Institute for Research. His author par- partner is Dr. Tiffany Jana. Dr. Barron, thanks for being with me and my audience today.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this conversation.
1: Me as well. You know, this is going to be a a very uh, interesting uh, conversation. It's one that's very near and dear to my heart, and I hope through the course of this conversation, we can open up some people's eyes to the topic we're going to be discussing because it is extremely important in today's society. Yeah. Yeah. So before we dive into subtle acts of exclusion, uh, let me start you off where I start off all of my podcast guests. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you?
0: It's a, it's a great question. I, a funny thing just happened right before I, I started talking with you. I asked my wife that. I said, Jill, what does burden of command mean to you? And she said, oh, do you need me to take the kids now? <laughs> I, <just laughs> nice. thought that, I thought nice. that was so funny. Um, but, you know, a couple things came to mind. One was, um, you know, obviously, like, the, the burden that comes with leadership, the responsibility that comes, you know, something that came to my mind was something I heard recently on social media that, um, you know, you're when you're the leader, when you're the owner, um, your employees don't work for you, you work for them. And uh, and that came to mind as well. And um, and then I thought I, I imagine most of your guests say something similar to that. And then I, I imagined something else that came to mind, which was, I think, different um which is thinking of yourself as like the leader of your life or like the leader of your body you know you're in control of like what you do and what you say and and that's not always easy to be in control to say the things you want to say to think before you say certain things to act in ways that are consistent with your values and so that kind of came to mind too like each person has a leader of their themselves.
1: Mm. No, I like that. I like both of those examples. and I, I love your wife's response to that because <laughs> it's like, oh, what's coming now, right? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: yeah. Um, no, I mean, again, that's a really good answer. It's a good way to look at it. And, and you know, you're right. I've had, uh, you know, every guest I've had on the show, I've asked that question and I don't think I've ever got the same answer uh, twice. So mm-hmm. I, I like your, I like your spin on it. <laughs> so, What we're going to be talking about here today is a term that hopefully a lot of people are familiar with, but may not be very comfortable with their understanding of what it actually is. And that term is uh, microaggressions, or as you and Dr. Jana kind of uh, rephrased it, subtle acts of exclusion. Mm -hmm. So real quick, uh, what are microaggressions, and why did you all decide to kind of reframe uh, the the term for them?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if I can be quick, but I'm going to do my best. Um, <laughs> so, So what people have meant by microaggressions, you know, are those times when people aren't necessarily trying to cause harm to someone else. It's not necessarily their intention, right? They might be trying to bond with someone or ask a question or tell a joke or even um, compliment someone else. And yet the impact that it has on the other person is very different. So it does cause harm. It does cause um, exclusion. Um, It does cause pain, right? So the, the things that are normal, it's not explicit hate necessarily. um, But those everyday things that people often say, um, that end up making people feel slighted or or worse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what people have meant by that term microaggressions. It's been around since the 1970s. Um, and it's a serious problem. You know, I mean, these things, when they happen consistently to people of marginalized identities, and they are happening consistently, they're causing um, mental and physical health problems even. That's how much... They are really hurting people um, and making them feel excluded in their places of work or their communities or their schools, wherever it is. So, so I would go in, you know, I'd be tasked with doing microaggressions trainings, for example, at different organizations. This is years ago. I've been doing this work for about 20 years, but I would go in and, you know, I'd say to people, okay. Uh, You call that black man articulate. You know, this is an example of a microaggression. And I get three real unhelpful responses to this. Um, One is people really fixating on that word aggression and saying, no, you can't call it a microaggression. I was just trying to compliment. I wasn't trying to be aggressive at all. And so this real extreme defensiveness, Um, you can't call it a microaggression if you don't know the intention. So all of a sudden, we're all thinking about the speaker's intention when we really need to be focusing on the impact on the other person. So that wasn't helpful. Then that term micro, right? They didn't necessarily mean this when they coined coined the term microaggression, but these days when people hear micro, they think small or unimportant. And so people who experience these things on a daily basis to them, it feels like they're getting slighted all over again. Oh, so these aren't important. Well, they feel like, A big deal to me Um, and then everyone else getting this message that you know i mean it's not really important it's a micro problem right so people are thinking well i don't really need to pay attention to this i don't really need to change my behavior Um, it's not something big and so none of these were helpful so for a while i'd kind of mutter under my breath well someone's got to think of a new term for this. This is getting in our way of building inclusion. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was frustrated talking with Tiffany, um, who is a friend of mine. Tiffany also works in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting. And Tiffany was saying, yeah, I'm finding the same thing. So we thought, well, might as well be us that tries to change the framing of this concept. So we thought maybe we can make some progress, you know, with our experience, with the way we think about things, maybe we can make some progress on this. So we sat together we had a long list of different potential reframes. Some were goofy, some were jargony. And in the end we said, let's just call these things what they are, subtle acts of exclusion. They're subtle. They don't feel subtle when they're happening to you, but the subtlety is kind of what makes it so they never quite hit that threshold of like, oh, I know I need to report this or I know I need to say something about this. And so they keep happening. Um, then acts, they are, they're acts. They're things people say and do. They're not necessarily intentions and they're not judgments of character. So we can talk about things that someone said or did. And then we thought, let's just name the problem right in the term itself. Exclusion, it excludes people in the moment and the repetition of these things actually perpetuates systems and patterns of thinking where people with marginalized identities are consistently um, excluded. And so it's a short-term problem and a long-term problem. So that's where we came up with the term subtle acts of exclusion um, to, to broaden the conversation. If you love um, the term microaggressions, by all means, you know, keep using that. Um, we're giving people another way to think about this and another way to frame it if they find it helpful.
1: Yeah, no. And, and that's what I think is brilliant about this is, is like you said, you know, uh, my, my my business partner and I, we talk about a lot of these same things. We've read into a lot of the same things that you and and, and Dr. Jonna uh, identified. And, um, you know, we had some of those same thoughts, but we hadn't got quite as proactive as y'all to, to try to rename it. But we're glad that you did because, you know, I think that's one thing that a lot of people really don't understand, especially with this topic, being as sensitive as it is. When I say this topic, I mean uh, diversity and inclusion type topics Mm -hmm. is it's very critical, the terminology you use. So you don't shut down the people that need to hear the message. Yeah and i think what you all did was a great job of that because like you said all those negatives with microaggression uh you you obliterated those and and it highlights what you just said because these things are never you know these subtle acts of exclusion they're never the the stereotypical things like the the racist or sexist things as you mentioned they're uh oh you 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 speak very well. Oh, mm-hmm. your hair looks good straight. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I had a fr- I've got a friend of mine who's uh, in a mixed uh race relationship. Actually, they they've been married for several years, so mixed race marriage. And he's from uh he's got family from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he told a story when he came back from a visit. He's like, "Yeah, we were going through uh through a fast food drive-through, right?" And he ordered and he said he heard uh, when they pulled up to the window, he heard one of the ladies uh, serving the food say, oh, that's why he talks so good. He's married to a white woman. Mm, You know, and this was, uh, the listeners probably figured out he's an African-American. The person serving the food was African-American. So it's not always... How you think about it, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's complex. Yeah. It is complex. And there, there are all sorts of ways people are excluding others in in subtle ways. And it's, you know, it could be based on all different dimensions of diversity. So it could be based on race and ethnicity, but also gender, um, sexuality, religion, disability. Um, Age, generation, um, body size, all these different dimensions that we can think about. There are subtle acts of exclusion happening with all of those. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and the other thing I like that you, you mentioned that, that maybe we can unpack a little bit here too is is the, uh, the physical and the emotional toll. Uh, now, we, we've had a few guests on here before talking about this, and, and my listeners maybe have heard the term uh, moral injuries uh, but, uh, is that a term that you're familiar with?
0: Um, I have heard it. Yeah. I don't use it regularly, but I've heard it.
1: Okay. Well, yeah. So just kind of real quick recap. I mean, it's, it's what you're talking about, right? These little micro aggressions that they're, they're
0: small.
1: We don't think that they really hurt that bad because yeah, I meant it as a compliment, but moral injuries, they're called injuries because if you look at brain scans, they light up the same centers in the brain that that physical pain does. Right. Like if you were to break a finger, yeah. these same things light up.
0: Yeah,
1: But th- just like, uh, you know, micro fractures, uh, shin splints, things like that. Yeah. One doesn't hurt too much. Two doesn't hurt too much. 20 hurts a bit, 200. Maybe you're getting ready to go to total breakage. And that's what we're doing to the people we work with. And we don't even realize it.
0: Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, I was doing a session today with a group of folks, and one uh, black woman shared, she said, I, I actually showed a slide that was very similar to what you're talking about about those brain scans and when subtle acts of exclusion caused the same part of the brain to light up as physical pain. And she was saying, you know, this resonated so much with her because she was in this job right out of college, and it was so toxic with these subtle acts of exclusion. She said eventually she ended up um, having to go to the hospital because she passed out just from the anxiety and the stress of it all. Um, Mm. So that was really resonating with her.
1: And then we wonder why we have such a high disengagement rate in our workforce, right?
0: Yeah, I know, I know. And so, you know, people too often just are really able to dismiss these. just like, oh, those people are being too sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I wouldn't have that wouldn't have bothered me, right? And that's, we're we're so bad at listening, truly listening to other people and what they experience and trying to think about why that would impact them in the way that it does without filtering it through our own understandings and our own experiences, right? I wouldn't have thought of it like that. Well, I would have just done this. Well, I wouldn't have cared about that. It's not about you, it's about the other person.
1: say that again, (laughs) because it's true. You're right. Now, you know, one thing that, uh, another thing that you all hit on early in the book, right, is in in most of these interactions, there's always uh, three people, right? There's there's the perpetrator. I'll use some clinical terms here. There's the perpetrator, there's the victim, and then there's a witness or a bystander, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You talk early on about kind of the role of the bystander in this process. So so
0: what is that role? Yeah, <clears throat> good, thank you. And I just want to back up for one moment because the language is so important. Um, we try to actually avoid the term um, perpetrator and mm-hmm. the term victim kind of on purpose, right? Because what right. we want to get people away from is that idea that this is all... A confrontation, an adversarial relationship, um, and instead of us coming together through a conversation about something that was said that made me feel bad, well, we we could actually come together over that. It doesn't have to be a battle, right? Um, and so, so we use um, the subject of a subtle act of exclusion and the initiator, mm-hmm. and and then, like you said, this. You know this third role, which could be one person or many people, um, which would be a bystander or someone who is could be a, an ally, right? And that's the key um, because these subtle acts of exclusion, when they happen, they are often happening in the presence of other people, right? So, and it, it shouldn't always be the responsibility and the burden of the person most affected by the subtle act of exclusion to say something about it. Right? If you think about, you know, that study where all of a sudden this feels like pain, it also, you know, it may be my heart. If I'm experiencing this, my heart rate's going, I'm angry. I'm I'm feeling like my brain is buzzing. Like my thoughts aren't coming as fast as they want them to. It's hard to actually say something in that moment because of all the emotion involved. But if someone else, um could step in and say hey you know i don't know if that was a great thing to say can we talk about this together um how amazing could that be for an ally right so many times that word ally is getting used these days and i know a lot of people kind of think well i i accept everyone i value everyone so i'm an ally and and that's great but ally real allyship has to be active too you have to do things you have to say things to stand with and for your colleagues. And, um, and that's not always comfortable, but you know, that, that person that experienced the subtle act of exclusion, they might have a lot of risk actually, if they speak up. Like they might, you know, so many black women, for example, told me, yeah, I'm not gonna say something in that case because I don't wanna get stereotyped as the angry black woman and that is totally reasonable. It's a different kind of risk. If you're able to say something as an ally who doesn't have that same risk in that moment, you have a responsibility to use that privilege to speak up um, in, you know, in, for other people and, um, and to stand with them. And sometimes that can happen if they're not even in the room. And mm-hmm. I think that is so important. Like groups of men, for example, talking together and subtle acts of exclusion against women happening all over the place. And, the, and no one in that group of men speaks up and says, hey, you know, I don't think it's right that we use that language or, you know, that doesn't feel fair. Um, and what if they could? You know, that, that's so powerful, that role of an ally.
1: No, I, I agree 100 percent. And it kind of gets into uh, kind of the next section of the book there. Uh, talking about interpersonal action, SAE accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's a little bit kinda of what you were just talking about there is is when you witness these things, you you have somewhat of a responsibility. I mean, you know, the the way we kind of highlighted is you know, if you saw somebody being assaulted, you would say something. You you would act. We, the, we would hope. We, we would hope. hope. <laughs> or yeah. or at the very least, maybe you would call, you know, nine one one. You would take an action. And and I think what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, inaction is an action. Mm-hmm. And when you stand by and you let these subtle acts of exclusion happen and don't say something, you're sending a message to that person who was on the receiving end that you're okay with it.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, so many people have told me, you know, about a subtle act of exclusion that happens in the middle of a meeting. And here you've, you've got to sit with it. You've got to sit with not only that that person said that, but now you're sitting there for the rest of the meeting with everyone else's silence and complicity. Um, And, and, and people have told me, yeah, well then after the meeting, when I'm back in my office, maybe someone comes over and says, Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I didn't agree with that at all. And they're just thinking, well, where were you in the moment? You know? Uh,
1: Yeah. Like, you know, and I'll share, uh, you know, I'll share a story of, of how this happened to me before I even knew, um, what any of this was, you know, I was a young 18-year-old, uh, fresh, uh, <laughs> fresh out of the valleys of the Appalachian Mountains in Northeast Tennessee, uh, at boot camp. I was in uh, Marine Corps boot camp down in Paris Island, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, we had some free time. We were cleaning the squad bay. Very little free time we got, and as was very much habit uh, from where I came from. I just started whistling Dixie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, there was an African American kid in, in the troop, and he actually said something to me, he goes, Why are you whistling that song? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Well, but why not? And then he started he actually started telling me how hearing that song made him feel because of the ties back to uh, civil war, slavery, and all those things. Mm-hmm. And I had to make a conscious effort for the longest time to not when I had when I had idle time to not just whistle, right? Because yeah. that's what we did to pass time.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I could have easily just blew him off and kept whistling it, but right. seeing and hearing, I mean, it's not like he broke down into a, sob, uh, uh, a, a sobbing mess by any stretch, but I could see uh, the, the pain of, yeah. of what that song meant to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you listened. You heard the impact and it mattered to you. You right. didn't want him to feel bad. And so you changed your behavior. And it's it's not always so easy. Sometimes it takes, you know, you got to rework your brain, your habits a little bit. Like you're saying, this is just a song without even thinking. You just started whistling it. And sometimes we just have to, it takes a little work to retrain our brain to whistle a different song or to use a different pronoun or whatever it is. You know, it, it's, it takes a little work. And if we care about the people that are around us, it we do it. And it should make us feel good and not bad. I mean, making other people feel included and good, that's a great feeling, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: so, you know, we're talking about the personal responsibility. Um, what about at the institutional level? Like, what responsibility do organizations have for creating these types of environments.
0: Yeah, well, the, the creating psychological safety is a huge deal. You've got to do that for your staff, you know, for your employees. And so I think it's really important. And, and this goes best when an, in a whole institution, a whole organization can collectively say, hey, we get this, why it's such a big deal. We get how it's threatening the culture of inclusion that we want here and we've decided collectively we're not going to do that. So we're going to do trainings to understand it, trainings about how to talk about it in productive ways, how to create a culture of openness, but also accountability. And, and we're going to do it collectively and we're going to do it together and understand different guidelines for how to speak up. If I experienced the subtle act of exclusion or if I was the person that oversaw it or if I got the feedback that I did it and we're going to understand those different roles because we're all going to be in those different roles at different points. Nobody's perfect here and, uh, and it's going to feel good. And then when an opportunity comes up, it doesn't just feel bad. Like it still might feel bad, but it doesn't just feel bad. It also feels like, oh, here's an opportunity to put into practice what we've been working on. And we can feel like we're doing it together and we can build, actually build trust in those moments, those moments where someone is being vulnerable and sharing with you about an impact of a subtle act of exclusion. Man, if you take that, if you take that poorly, you're just building a wall between you two. And if you take it well, and if you can actually hear it and do something about it, that's those are the moments where you build trust. It that's where it happens, and you can do that, and you can feel more connected. You can have a more authentic relationship, one where you give each other even more grace for messing up, which is going to happen, and where um, it really you feel positive about it too, the whole thing because you're doing it together.
1: Absolutely, and I think the the other uh you know i mean you're 100% right and when an organization has that level of of trust and grace and the ability to make mistakes and and not uh, get hammered into oblivion over making them you you open up a lot of productivity yeah. and innovation and and all of these things in organizations that we 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 strive for yeah. but we miss this which is actually probably one of the most impactful most obvious, most widespread, yet, I don't want to say easy, because mm-hmm. this takes a lot of work, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. but when you look at all of the other things an organization can do, fixing this problem is probably one of the easier things they can do, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's hard, because we're humans, and it's complicated, and it takes work, and it doesn't always go perfectly, but... Who ever said changing the culture at a place was going to be easy? I mean, that is a that is a hard thing and this is one of the key factors to it. If you can do good work on this, that is how you change the culture of a place. Like the people, the relationships, that's the culture. And when you are able to implement this kind of thing, you improve those relationships, and you build trust, and that is the bedrock of this more inclusive culture.
1: Mm. So let's talk about some of the various uh, types of, of subtle acts of exclusion. Uh, in the book, you break down you break down five different dimensions, and these are kind of the traditional dimensions that most people think of diversity and inclusion. Age, uh, age, race, religion, uh, sexual orientation, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and you start off uh, with gender and sexuality. So so what are some examples of subtle acts of exclusion for gender and sexuality? And, and what are the ramifications of those?
0: Mm, yes, gosh, so many. I mean, <laughs> everything from you know, research showing that, for example, women get cut off more in meetings um, or they'll say an idea and not get credit for it. And then a man says the same idea and everybody's like, oh, great point. You know, um, things like that. Or someone walks into a room and assumes the male's in charge and uh, goes to shake his hand or, you know, assumes that the uh, everybody when it comes time to taking notes for a meeting, the men are like, well, I'm not going to take notes and the women (laughs) have to do it. Or you have a a lunch at, you know, lunch at your company and and the men sort of walk out and the women get left having to clean things up. Um, All just so many, so many examples um, related to gender. And then also so many related to to sexuality, um, to sexual orientation, Oh, gosh, like someone was telling me, yeah, you know, I tell people, is a man telling me this, I tell people about a past boyfriend. And it's not like they're saying, oh, I don't think you should get to marry another man. It's not like they're being explicit like that. But he said, there's always a pause when he mentions past boyfriend, a pause, and then they go, oh, okay, right? (laughs) He's like, but in that pause, it's communicated like you're not normal or something like that or um you know uh people seeing a woman wearing a ring and just jumping to the conclusion of oh what does your husband do um uh things like that or um someone was telling me a gay woman was telling me that uh her women friends are like oh i wish i was lesbian like you and she's like i get it you're trying to show me that you're comfortable with my sexuality But what you're actually showing me is that, like, you're not really seeing how hard it is to be something that's not considered normal, you know, and what I go through. Um, And so I could go on and on and on. But uh, those are just some of the examples.
1: Well, yeah, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I think the, you mentioned the pronoun usage earlier that that's a big one. Um, uh-huh. uh, you know, not asking, you know, sometimes, you know, what pronouns you do, do you prefer? Or the one that I see a lot is, you know, cause on a lot of social media profiles and things like that, people will put their preferred pronouns, people put them in their email signatures now. Yeah. And then you, you, you can always, you know, there's always somebody who will read them and just kind of laugh that that's uh-huh. included. Well, that means something to that person, right? Uh, yeah, it means yeah. a lot. Um, and, and it's something that's just so easy to uh, to take care of. But, you know, and, and then when you're talking politics, right? So uh, I'll share another quick story here. Uh, my partner and I, we were at some training uh, a couple years ago when when the bathroom issue was really, really big, right? Mm-hmm. And I had a lady in the class. She, she was very adamant and very distraught about the topic of, of of bathroom usage. And she said, exactly, I do not want some big, burly, hairy man following me and my daughter into the bathroom at the store. And mm-hmm. I looked at her and said, ma'am, I understand, but I promise you that transgender woman doesn't want a big, burly, hairy man following them into the bathroom either.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and
1: and the rest of the room kind of chuckled but it sunk in for this lady because like you know this is something that means something to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons and just dismissing it because your own personal beliefs that's maybe not a subtle but that's an act of exclusion right
0: oh yeah absolutely and you know pronouns are really interesting um i mean My co-author, Tiffany, identifies as gender non-binary, gender non-conforming, and so uses they, them pronouns. Mm -hmm. And so when people would ask me about my book, when we were writing the book, you know, oh, tell me about your co-author. And I would say, yeah, well, you know, so they identify as gender non-binary, so I'm going to use they, them pronouns when I talk about Tiffany, and then I just start talking. And people that i think thought I considered quite progressive, um, would often get into arguments with me about this. Like, well, I'm all for people being who they want to be, but you know, that's just not grammatical. I can't do that. And it always, it kind of blew my mind. Um, (laughs) and so I found myself getting into all these arguments with people every time I talk about this, where I sort of expected these people to be like, oh, okay and and no they were arguing about the grammar of it all um and it was confusing and you know i learned so much from that experience i learned um i learned first that it does take some work right when i first started using they to talk about tiffany it just took a little work i'd mess it up occasionally and then i'd correct myself and get in the habit of it and um So it didn't happen overnight, but it was something I could clearly do, right? Right. I could get my brain to do that. Uh, And then also just having people, seeing people's reactions was interesting. You know, there's a funny example where I was just in the thick of this, where so many people were arguing with me about it when I would talk to them. And then I remember I was at my kid's um, swim banquet, the end of the, season swimming banquet for their swim team and the coach got up and the coach was going to give an award for the you know the swimmer of this of the year basically and the coach didn't want to give away the gender of the person and so they were saying things like you know they swam the fastest 50 yard breaststroke of anyone they were always such a smiling presence on the uh, around the pool they this they that and you know give it up for you know freddie or whatever (laughs) and i was like they just use they to talk about one person um so easily and it sort of dawned on me this isn't really about the grammar this is about much more than that um that was kind of a light bulb for me
1: Well, you know, but even then, that's such a, I'll say an American way of looking at it because, you know, and and I I can't speak very much now, but, you know, I took German in high school and they actually have three genders uh, that they identify their their pronouns in. And it's it's male, female, and what they call neuter or neutral. So, you know, in the German language, at least, and I, I believe that there's probably quite a few others that use the same concept. This is very normal. They they have already kind of taken this into account. Now, maybe not for these specific reasons, but in a language like German, those neutral pronouns already exist. Right. And, and so, I mean, that just highlights again, we think of this as uh, kind of what we talked about before. We think of this in our kind of personal lenses when, when we look at this on a global scale, It, 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 that, that argument really doesn't hold water. Other, other cultures and languages have already kind of figured this out.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so, you know, another big dimension that, that we have to deal with, uh, in this realm is race and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. So what do some of those forms look like?
0: Oh, again, so many, I mean, you know, classic one these days is people, um, Asking Asian Americans, "Where are you? Where are you from? Where are you really from?" Right? You just hear this again and again, and um, and of course, people fall back on this idea of, "Well, what? I'm just curious about people. I was just curious. Um, is that so bad to want to know about you and your heritage?" Right? But they don't realize they're not asking that question of everyone. Only some people, and they don't realize that person's heard that question so often and that under the surface what it's communicating to them is not just a curiosity but you don't belong or you're not normal um things like that and so you know that's that's been the case um against asian americans for a long time and we saw just all kinds of stuff related to that come out recently with the covid and coronavirus um Mm -hmm. then you know, things like not, not even trying to say everyone's name correctly, right? Like, oh, that looks, I don't know, I could never say that name. I'm just going to give you a nickname or <laughs> something like that or fumbling through it without even really trying um, as if only certain names get the respect of really trying to get them correct um, or even saying to people explicitly, like, why don't you have a normal name? Um I mean I'm, I'm like not even joking that I think it was Jimmy Kimmel said that explicitly hosting the Oscars a couple years ago um talking to someone why can't you have a, a normal name like Patrick <laughs> um or you know people um I mean the classic ones for for black or african american folks or you're you're so articulate um as if I'm surprised cuz I didn't expect you to be articulate or you're so well spoken or you're so professional, like, as a, why wouldn't you expect me to be professional, you know, things like that. Um, or even things like, um, well, I don't even see you as black, right? Like, oh my gosh. Um, like so many people have told me they experienced that or, I mean, touching a black woman's hair, which, black women are saying is still happening to a shocking extent Um, things too like um, you know that people won't even are even surprised about one that I often talk about related to um, Latinx folks is uh, when people do what um, this anthropologist Jane Hill calls mock Spanish things like oh no problema," or Ugh, I'm feeling broke these days. Can we get El Chippo Burrito? Um, you know, stuff like that where um, the, the subtle message is like, oh, I can butcher your language and use it for my amusement and it doesn't matter. Um, whereas, like, if you butcher English in a public space, forget about it, right? That's so terrible. Right. Um, things like that uh again i could go on and on just any assumptions that people are making about other people like oh you don't speak spanish or like wow you know you speak english good for a latina or you know uh why do you sound white or like all that stuff or oh your accent's so cute yeah Um, yeah no and and again these are
1: these are I, i hate to say this but in my experiences these are again kind of very American things because typically when you go to another country, again my personal experience is, if you at least make an attempt at their language, they they are very appreciative uh, of that effort. Whereas, like you said, here uh, most of the time, when somebody makes an attempt and falls flat, we we kind of uh, hold that against them, and why don't you know uh, why don't you know English and things like that and and then you know again being in the marines i was stationed in okinawa japan and uh, i remember chatting with one of my buddies we were out in town and uh, you know the uh so there's a channel called armed forces network afn and usually wherever you're stationed they do a decent job of trying to give you at least conversational understanding of where you are during commercial breaks because you know they don't promote pepsi and coke and all those things on afn for the most part they mm-hmm. they take out the commercials and they'll have somebody come in and, you know, talk to you about the differences between uh, Konnichiwa and Kanbanwa and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, we're out in town and the guy's like, why doesn't anybody around here speak English? I'm like, because we're in Japan. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's, it's, Uh, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, just those, those little differences, like there's a lot of this that, that we kind of take for granted and, and, uh, assume
0: that that the world assimilates to us right yeah there, there's definitely an arrogance there um but and the and these these subtle acts of exclusion they're happening everywhere like mm-hmm. they happen in different they play out in different ways right in different countries in different regions in different organizations and different types of organizations mm-hmm. But they're happening and you know i think we've been alluding to the fact that of course there's a whole range of of ways that people can harm others and some of it some of it is very explicit and obvious hate and you know violence and murder um and some of it is unconscious unconscious biases and things like that and then some of it is subtle in these ways but all of it is related it's all part of a package keeping people from having equal, equal opportunities and from being included in their spaces and being valued.
1: Absolutely. So I'm not going to go through the, the, the last three, cause I really want to, to leave some, uh, some fruit on the tree here for people to go pick up the book. We've been talking about subtle acts of exclusion, how to understand, identify and stop micro aggressions. Now, you all do a really good job of uh, giving folks an antidote to subtle acts of exclusion. Uh, In the last chapter, you talk about intentional acts of inclusion. Mm -hmm. What do those look like and and how are they beneficial to fighting the subtle acts of exclusion?
0: Yeah. So there's, you know, there, there are two ways of looking at this, both of which are important. One is um, when a subtle act of exclusion happens, then, you know, really talking about it, speaking up about it, um, not letting these slide, right? Really addressing them so that we can create more inclusion and more trust. And then of course we can, oh, that's, that's reactive, right? To, to a subtle act of exclusion. And then of course we can also proactively Try to include everyone with and that is also something we have to do actively. It means thinking about all the different behaviors that we do and we don't even always think about. So are we including everyone equally in a meeting? And I'm not just talking about in terms of gender and race, but in terms of like, you know, processing speed and style. You know, are we all just expected to jump in and have this conversation when some people need more time to process and give their opinions Um, in terms of ability or disability? So are we taking into consideration that for people who, you know, might need more processing time reading a document, for example, um, are we thinking about if we're in an organization and it's headquartered in, you know, Chicago? but it's a global organization. Are we thinking about everybody in their different time zones when we plan meetings? Or are we just thinking, well, this time works for me, so yeah, it's fine, <laughs> you know? Um, just are we proactively doing those things? Are we appreciating people's ideas when they contribute? Are we inviting everyone into the conversation? Are we, when we're connecting with people one-on-one, are we, are we really thinking about Like our body language, are we putting our phone in our pocket, not just in our hand, but like in our pocket and really connecting and, you know, re paraphrasing back what they're saying and asking follow-up questions? Are we taking a moment to really make them feel that inclusion? Are we doing all these things proactively? Because when we do that, like it can be so powerful. It can really make people feel that they're welcome, that they're valued, that they're included, that they're seen and heard as an individual, um, and so that's really what we're what we're aiming for.
1: And and I, I like those examples there, and, and you know, especially the global one, and, and even more so, uh, you know, now with with the COVID pandemic and people working from home, uh, you know taking into consideration some of the the stressors uh, that your team has that they didn't have before, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, parents used to be able to send children to daycare and dedicate their time to you, your job. Mm-hmm. And now those kids are home and they have no choice. There's no daycare to send them to in some places. Yeah. And you have a choice, right. To either, exclude them further because of circumstances that are beyond their control mm-hmm. or be flexible let the kids set in on the meeting right yeah, uh, yeah yeah do those things include your team right
0: yeah there are all sorts of new subtle acts of exclusion or you know they crop up as as context change i mean i got four kids at home doing distance learning so i feel that one mm-hmm. um and 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 it happens in very subtle ways. Again, like I've seen meetings where, you know, people, they have the best of intentions where they'll say, hey, we really want everyone to turn on your video camera so we can see everyone. And, you know, it's so nice and we get to see each other. And that's not bad. That's not a bad intention. But there may be people these days who don't feel like they can hold it together to force a smile, you know, especially on some of the harder days, depending on what's going on in the world. Um, you know, thinking, thinking about one meeting, um, you know, this summer where I I saw that happen, it was after one of these high profile like murder cases where an unarmed black man was murdered and, um, you know, people saying, Hey, let's all put on our video cameras. And some people saying, I really don't feel like doing that right now. And the person insisting, no, really, it's like, you got to give people space and think about where they may be at with what's going on in the world, with what's going on in their home, with mental health issues. Like, oh, you just got to really take into account all the different things that people are going through. Just because you've got it set up with a nice little office with lots of privacy and light and space to do your meeting doesn't mean everyone's got that same setup. And right. so... It's really important. That it is. That it is.
1: Well, Dr. Barron, thank you very much for uh, for this discussion. Uh, we've been going about 45 minutes or so now. And I'm just curious, is there anything that we haven't had a chance to uh, touch on that you'd like to share with the audience before we, uh, before we close things out?
0: Hmm. I would like to leave people with not any content in particular, but with the a feeling of empowerment um when we think about when we think about racism when we think about structural inequalities when we think about unconscious biases when we think about these subtle acts of exclusion it's so easy to feel overwhelmed like the, it's it's so much and it is so much um but It doesn't mean we can't do anything about it. It doesn't mean we can't be more intentional about, you know, thinking about systemic inequalities and how to create more equity in our institutions. We can do that. Like we do that with organizations and it can be done. You can change policies and procedures and practices to create more equity we can there are people out there who understand unconscious bias and can think about how to block it from getting in your way at work and how to reduce your biases for the long run there are like we can come together around these subtle acts of exclusion and we can build connection and we can build inclusion together it's not super easy surprise, surprise, we're not like this has been going on for 400 years. We're not changing it tomorrow, but we can actually be more intentional and proactive and empowered to do something about this. And we have to. Mm. So that's what I want to leave people with.
1: I I love it. And all I'm going to add to that is I absolutely agree. (laughs) (laughs) That was well put. Uh, So listeners, again, uh, we've been talking about uh, Subtle Acts of Exclusion How to Understand, Identify, and Stop Microaggressions, uh, co authored by our guest, Dr. Michael Barron and uh, Dr. Tiffany Jana. Uh, I just want to say, you know, thank you all for writing this book. Again, I think it's extremely valuable. There's a lot of great information in here, uh, a lot of great ways to look at the topic. So, so thank you for putting the time and effort and the pen to paper to, to write this book.
0: Thank you, Earl. I appreciate that.
1: Absolutely. And and so for people who hopefully have, you know, maybe come to grips with microaggressions, maybe understood uh, through the terms of subtle acts of exclusion a little bit better, and maybe they want to reach out to you all for uh, to get to know more, find out more about the book, find out more about y'all. How can they do that?
0: Yeah, so you can find out more about me and um, the work that I'm doing at Inquest Consulting at www.inquestconsulting.com. You can find more about the book at subtleactsofexclusion.com. Find us on social media. We love that connection. and, um, you know, we've got the book and I also created a, uh, a really exciting digital e-learning program that's super interactive, have videos of real people on the street that I filmed asking them what subtle acts of exclusion they experience, And mm-hmm. I take clips from that and put it into the digital program. So it really gets people having a real deep understanding of what others go through so that's all at inquestconsulting.com as well. You can reach out to me directly and uh, yeah those are all the places.
1: Outstanding and as usual listeners I'll have those uh, I have those listed in the show notes. you can just click straight through to them and uh, and get right to it. Uh, well again, thank you very much for spending this last uh, 50 minutes or so uh, with with me and my audience.' That's a lot of great information. Uh, I really appreciate everything uh, that you and Dr. Jana are doing.
0: Thanks, Errol. Really appreciated the conversation.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure. And listeners, thank you for being with us and and hopefully being engaged and maybe expanding your understanding of these topics a little bit through our discussion. Uh, take advantage of those opportunities to reach out to uh, Dr. Barron and Dr. Jana. And pick up a copy of this book. Um, It really does a good job of breaking things down and uh, helping you come to grips with some of the things that you may be doing in your life that you don't even realize you are. And we all do them. It doesn't make you bad. It makes you human. Mm -hmm. Um, With that... I want to thank you for being a great, supportive audience. I uh, really appreciate the reviews on iTunes. Uh, keep those up. Keep those algorithms going so all these great messages can keep getting spread around. Make sure, you're sharing the lo- uh, make sure you're sharing the show with folks you know, and keep tuning in. And with that, thank you for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter.